Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Mailbox Money. I'm Jackson Wood, joined here by my partner and my friend, Ryan Kruger. In today's episode, we are going to talk about opportunity stocks, opportunity portfolios. And we're going to dive into the five keys that we have found when we're looking at these these different investment opportunities, what makes it an opportunity, some of the requirements that we have when we're thinking about an opportunity or a growth portfolio. And what we're going to do is, is paint the picture for this specific investment strategy and how we think about it and why we're excited about it. But before we do that, I want to I want to make it very clear where opportunistic stock portfolios fit in inside of our framework. And we have talked over and over again about our safe, sacred and speculative investment strategies. So once clients and ourselves have a pile of safe money, uh, which, you know, from listening to the episodes, what we mean by that. We, we then focus on the sacred side of the portfolio, which is our dividend growth strategy. It's the income that you're going to rely on in the future. And then once we have kind of built those two allocations or those two sections of the portfolio, then we will look for speculative investments or more opportunistic focused in investments. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and so I think it's worth just that brief overview of where this fits into a portfolio. We look at this part of the portfolio Last, we want to make sure that we are going to be able to get to our Freedom Day, have enough income, um, do all of our homework beforehand. And what that does, if you take that approach to uh, opportunistic investing, growth investing, whatever you want to call it, uh, it makes sure that all the money that you're putting into this style of investing is not scared money. You're not banking on opportunistic companies turning into 10 baggers or, or whatever in order to be able to have your freedom day and to be able to have financial independence. We're looking at this as after we have checked those boxes, can we get a little bit more upside? Can we expose some of this money to really good opportunities uh, without, if it goes wrong, without derailing or messing up the rest of our financial plan. And so I, I just wanted to paint that picture and introduce that. And then this is going to be an exciting topic today, especially in this market. Um, but I, I thought it was worth bringing that up before we jump into kind of these five keys. I just don't think you can overstate that enough. It's, it's, it's rule number one, using the right dollars. And before anybody rolls their eyes, like I get, I have rules-based desserts in my house broccoli before chocolate cake. That's right. My number one suggestion, though, is using the right dollars. It allows you to be wrong so many times. And, and that we found to be the biggest key. Um, so separating the safe, sacred, and speculative dollars, that that's the first of five keys and so much more important because in any market, it's never the economy or stock market corrections or even crashes that doom plans. It's having the wrong money exposed, too much risk oftentimes, so that it becomes scared money because you need it to eat on. If you don't, 
you give yourself the biggest advantage and most unusual advantage. And I mean against the best of the best. The pros that get carried out on their shields always have the same thing in common. It wasn't what area of the market or what they liked or didn't like. It was they had too much leverage or concentration. So we're going to share with you four more, but that's number one. Um, and where all this is headed, and I hope what I've learned over 26 years as a portfolio manager, and, and take it from me, I, I have plenty of mistakes and I keep a good diary and notes so you can learn and I'll give them all to you um, here right now on one episode because all these different ways to invest and take risk, if you agree with us that there is a reason to take risk after safe and sacred, safe and sacred. Um, I think this is where it gets real confusing though. Are you guys growth? Is it value? Is it small, mid, large? What kind of factors? How do you allocate amongst the different styles and sectors? What industries do you believe in? What do you like? And all the, man, I would throw all that out the window. And I would, first of all, I'd say yes, every single one of those end up on our one page rule and the playbook of simplicity in a concentrated portfolio and how we can whittle it down. And you can own all of those things in one account rather than being spread out and never being able to keep up. As long as you have any rules-based system, like broccoli before chocolate cake, sacred before speculative, as long as you adopt any rules system with discipline, with a repeatable process, I think you're going to be way ahead of the game of amateurs and professional money managers. I've learned that. That's our dirty little secret. Ask them, point blank, what is your repeatable process of selection and disciplines? We're going to share with you, and we'll start off and we'll pop the hood. Um, when we look at the stock market, whether it be the S&P 500, the bluest of blue chips, or any bigger, broader basket, one option, by the way, if you don't like listening to stuff like this, is you can just own it all. And there's nothing wrong with that, that passive investment. Um, I've seen and learned humbly with great excitement, too, enough to know that a selection system, if it's rules-based, you can absolutely own businesses that are going in different directions than the overall market. And I like that opportunity. I like that opportunity a lot, especially if you have sell disciplines underneath. Um, so this is about active management in our world, in our opinion. And the, the two places that I would pop the hood and look, and we go back through 26 years of notes of what has worked and what hasn't, um, I want an operating business advantage. I'm trying to find which stocks have an operating business advantage over the average, the entire market, and the direction of that advantage. That's actually where we make the biggest difference and roll up our sleeves and probably where we get the biggest eyebrow raisers. Okay, now, that, now that's interesting. So let's talk about exactly what that means. Anybody on their own with any screening system, all available for free now, what used to be in the ivory towers on Wall Street, and they hope you keep it all behind the curtain. Um, well, the wizard's been exposed, and it's, you've got tools at home right now listening to this better than the best fund managers did when I started. Um, so you can do simple screens for operating revenue. When I say operating business advantage, and to give you an idea, the S&P right now is eight or 9% average of the last three, five, 10 years of operating revenues. And that's repeatable. That's a little bit different than top line sales or revenues. I like to dig a little deeper and isolate operating revenue. 
So right off the bat, we like to say, what if we were able to compile a roster that did double the operating revenue growth of the overall market? And that's where we start. That, that's what I meant by operating business advantage. Throughout time, one of the factors that's been one of the best clues to unusual success in the stock market, and we are going to talk about some 10 baggers, and one of the keys to finding those is exceptional operating revenue growth in any sector. They found something where it is growing consistently at a much faster pace than its peers and the overall market. And when I say accelerated, what that means is if it's 20% year-over-year operating growth, then the next three or five years what if it's 25 or 30? So it's not just growth, but it's an acceleration of that growth rate. And one of the things that I think is important to uh, differentiate between our opportunity stock portfolio and what most people will traditionally think of when they think of growth investing, uh, we're looking for businesses that are already established as, as well as some newer companies. But we wanna see not only that, that they're are growing their revenue, uh, but we require that to be uh, a fact. And so when you think about in, in like a general sense, growth investing, um, you know, or you hear people talking about growth stocks, sometimes they're talking about brand new companies that have this great idea, that have this product that they're going to develop, and the profits and the revenue w will come later. And when you think about that, there's a lot of IPOs, there's a lot of stories about SPACs, um, and really popular over the last few years, those are businesses that, that very well may be profitable and might be good investments, um, but we require a little bit more uh, evidence, a little bit more track record before we'll make a speculative investment. Because when you, when you look at um, the companies we own in the opportunistic stock portfolio, not only are they, are they growing, their revenue is growing, uh, or, or not only do they have you know, good amount of profit, but that, that profit is growing. And what that does, if you go down the, uh, the financials of the company, it's showing us not only that they have a good product, but that they're smart with where they're putting their money on the business side. They're making smart decisions. They're, they're reinvesting. And I think we're going to talk about that in some of the next keys. Um, but I just want to frame our version of opportunistic kind of against these unprofitable uh, companies that have great websites. And I think a lot about this in kind of the blockchain space as well as uh, we're not buying just on an idea or on a white paper or on a hype for the sake of a better term. We want to look at the actual numbers and make sure that there's some meat on the bones. And one informal key, I didn't include this in the top five, Jackson, but um, it, it, an asterisk, maybe number six, you will not be a good dinner party guest. That is another criteria to be an unusually successful opportunistic stock selection system. Because when somebody asks me, what's your best idea? What's going to be your next big winner? I have absolutely no idea. And I'll tell you how I address that here in a second. But it really, your point begs the simple, boring math of this all. It has a lot to, more to do with what we don't know. Right. Unusual upside relative to the overall market, if we only own a roster of 50 stocks in this portfolio, that says we don't even own 450 of the bluest of the blue chips in the S&P 500, 
let alone the other thousands. So just simply deselecting and finding those companies that aren't growing anymore, that are hidden in these index, people would be shocked. And instead of what to look for and what to find, if you started, did nothing more than let me not own any companies that are not profitable or, and we're talking about the direction of the advantage, it's a little harder to find, but you can do it where, which ones have big, giant, beautiful moats that are very popular, but that they're shrinking. And we'll share with you exactly how we find those. But people would be astonished to learn if they just didn't own companies that are clearly in decline or bleeding. And everybody's just hoping to maybe buy at the right time or trade out of it. And not one of these five keys, by the way, is great trading. None of them. That's one of the best kept secrets hiding in plain sight of the 10, 20, 50 baggers. We didn't trade any of them. And we'll get to that key here in a second. But the way we find direction of advantage, just two simple examples. If I look at the S&P 500, just to use the benchmark again, the gross profit margin of that basket of stocks has been very consistent, 10, 5, 3, 1 year, right at about 44% in case you were curious. The gross profit margin, the average stock in the S&P 500, pretty good profit margin. I don't necessarily care to find stocks that have much higher profit margins because those are going to be competitive targets really not interested in stocks that have much lower profit margins what i'm super interested in finding are profit margins that are expanding if the market isn't overall where you can find some unusual opportunities in any sector is if I'm seeing a profit, profit margin that is expanding. Some people call that pricing power. Whether it be inflation or deflation and all these different cycles that we'll debate, which companies have the ability in any market to raise prices and or increase their profits internally. And the other measurement we love, if we had to pick a couple and we use dozens, Little nerdy here, but for those that like to get in the weeds, return on invested capital is a great way to measure companies' ability to steward their stakeholders' capital and invest it. And ROIC, same thing. The market um, for the S&P 500, the average ROIC right now is right at about 10 or 11%. Um, our roster, we're finding close to double that fairly easily, but more importantly, it's been increasing each of the past one, three, five, ten years. So that, again, looking for the direction of the advantage, not just the advantage. That's been, if there's one key mathematically, and again, what do all these things have in common? It has nothing to do with what we like or believe or think is going to happen. All 100% objective data and math. And what I love most about that is it doesn't care what I think. <laughs> and it requires humility, which we'll talk about here as the third step. Uh, I've got two things. So when I went to business school, what they hammered into our brain was, you know, if you're working for a company or own a company and you need to get better, here are the things that you need to look at to boost revenue, decrease expenses, which ultimately lead to making your company more profitable. And what we're looking for from a high level are companies that are doing that. There's this entire new, and I don't, even, I don't even know what to call this, but like gamification that a lot of companies are 
are going through and, and focusing on where they just want to be included into an index. And they're, they're spending a lot of time and energy positioning the company so that they can stay in an index, whatever type of index it is. Because if you're in an index, um, you have this steady stream of buyers of your stock and it makes part of you know other parts of your business easier. Your debt gets rated higher, you can finance at lower rates, whatever. Um, instead of looking at companies that are doing that, and, and maybe this is a topic for another episode, uh, we're looking at improvements in companies. We want to see companies that are, are improving. And so the second thing that came into my mind was just recently, one of the positions that we hold in our portfolio made an acquisition of a large company that's actually based here in Idaho. And the company that is that acquired this, this other company has continually been paying a dividend. But if that dividend were too high, they wouldn't have had the capital that they needed to go out and make an acquisition. And a successful acquisition will then further boost their future income, their future dividend. And so I know this isn't focused on, on dividends exclusively here. And, and that's one of the things that we look at in opportunity. But more importantly, it's a, it's a story that shows the evolution of these companies. We require there to be growth. We require there to be an ROIC because we want to know that the company is making decisions today that will benefit shareholders in the future. And a lot of the time, when you look at companies that we don't own, they're not actively growing their top line revenue through good investments, through good use of capital. Instead, they're you know playing these games or being trying to be included in an index or you know coming up with goofy accounting tricks. We don't want any of that, and that's a distraction from the companies that we truly believe are opportunities and well-run companies. Uh, their CEO, CFO, and board of directors doing what they should for their shareholders and the future of their company. Well, you mentioned a great point to end on there is you talk about acquisition. Well, what's it worth? It's, it's easy to talk about and find companies that are growing. And a lot of folks stop right there. They, they, they buy what they like and they may have an edge. They may, they may really, really be right. But you absolutely have to ask yourself, what is it worth? What if the stock market closed for 10 years? Would you be willing if you acquired the entire company? Do you know how to price that? It, what, what's the valuation? So my final point on popping the hood and the objective repeatable process of finding the operating business advantage and then the direction of that advantage, then we're just super greedy and selective. We want to also underpay. So rather than growth or value, I want to be growth and value. And we just ripped out several pages of the efficient market hypothesis in a lot of economics books that says anything, the market is going to price all that known information. If it's a better growth company, it's going to be more expensive. Math, facts, and nonfiction just entirely disagree with that. So those companies that we just talked about at double, just using a couple of examples, double the growth rates and accelerating, we're currently paying about 20% discount to average market valuations. So anybody's repeatable selection process has got to include, in our opinion, not just better growth, but also extremely valuable companies, dare I say sometimes cheap or underpriced. Those two needs to be two sides of the same coin, in my opinion, as opposed to two different accounts, a bunch of different funds all over the place. Third key, actively managed 
humility for upside of curiosity. And what in the world do I mean by that is most folks think that cell disciplines are somehow limiting and we found them to be entirely the opposite, but liberating. So every single position, we have an exit point before we put it on. We have pre-mortem, not only what could go wrong with our work, but even if we're right, the price may decline so much so that we have to know ahead of time where we will exit a position and never putting new capital, more risk into a position that is down. That alone is maybe sounds like the, the, the least fun, the, the most uninteresting part of any one of these dozens of episodes. And I will tell you, it's the single biggest factor that's built our business, period, three decades. Several big giant winners, and I had no idea which ones were they gonna be. The only way they happened is a very, very small amount of risk capital in any one, sell disciplines under all of them, so that any concentrated position or a gigantic winner was never conviction. It wasn't ever adding or overweighting or being table pounding sure of something like we've seen professionals, the best of, get carried out on their shields for. It was always just being curious. And if it's organically an outsized position from profits, that's my kind of risk. That's what I, I'm more than willing to take. So a lot of those little bitty speculative positions happened after we have sell stops under all of them. The curiosity to place buy stops over new positions. And if our work says there's 50 we want to own here right now, right now in the bullpen, there's five or 10 that we're ready. We have a variety of buy stops that would be triggered in both cases, that humility and that curiosity, which is actively managed, is the fourth key that we found to unusual upside in the stock market. I think that that is more powerful than a lot of people realize um, it, it gives your capital the ability to be allocated into companies that are growing in the right direction. And we don't double down. I've actually started using these pre-mortems and stop losses in my own life. So my wife asked me to make her some chicken Parmesan. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, she's pregnant. I got to, I got to really, really go for this. I got all the ingredients. I figured, okay, I can cook this. About 30 minutes into it, I realized that it was going to be completely terrible. And instead of, you know, going down with the ship and presenting, hey, look, I made this dinner and it's awful. Let's just scarf it down. I called this. I put the cell stop in and I made a delicious breakfast for dinner that everybody ate. And and so I, I know that's kind of silly, but the idea is we just want to own things that we know we can believe in. And if that changes, if the evidence or the math changes, we're out of it. And uh, I, I think that that's really a powerful concept. And I've realized, hey, breakfast for dinner, it worked. Hey, the chicken parm is not a silly example. Stops are liberating for a lot of reasons. And I found the key to life in those situations. Stop trying to be right and just care about getting it right. That is a key. And portfolio management has taught me more that's helped me in my regular day-to-day -day life um, based on that one rule. 
the, the last two, one is the simplest and, and one is probably the most head scratching different than what you're about to, than, than what you might expect listening to us. Um, the, the fourth is all of what we just talked about, that concentrated balance of not growth or value, but two sides of one coin, not one sector or industry or idea or style, all of them balanced. So all the selection criteria has to end up on a balanced roster where you have all sizes, all sectors, all styles on one page. That may sound the simplest, but it is the hardest. Like we have very, very, very sophisticated investors that come here and they can barely get their hands around the boxes in some cases of all their statements, let alone positions. And I don't even really remember why I'm in that. If you start off with that one page rule, I have found it is key, whatever the number is to you. We've done a lot of hardcore nerdy statistical studies to say that a roster, a portfolio of 50 companies can be ideal and the diversification you get is almost as good as 500, but the upside is even better. Um, that one page rule is key. And last but not least, for all the fundamental analysis that we just did, and looking under the hood and all of the math and looking any business owner would say, or economics, if you're just starting this or the most sophisticated business owner, entrepreneur of all time would always talk about the supply and the demand for the products. And how do we measure those? And we've got reams of analysts out there trying to predict the supply and demand for the products and services of all these businesses. One factor that I've found not paid nearly enough attention to by investors is measuring the supply and the demand for shares of that company. And what do I mean? I'll give you an equally silly example um, that I think back to, you know, I, you know, I'm a nerd from way, way back when like the back of these roster of stats, I used to start with where I learned math was baseball cards. Um, my first job, at 13 was sorting thousands of them. And that's where I learned about math and improvement and cobbling together these rosters of different statistics, which fascinated me. And for folks that have any interest or have even heard the background about baseball cards, a lot of them have heard of the Holy Grail, the 1952 Mickey Mantle rookie card. If you haven't, um, it's often the, I, I wrote about this, it's, it's on a, blog on our website a year ago when it sold for $2.8 million. And I got a lot of attention and I went to the back, back, back story. And this is going to come back around the stock portfolio in just a second, but update this year during the recession, that same card went from 2.8 to 12 million. What happened? He didn't get better. He didn't do anything different. And he might not even be the best baseball player. My dad, my dad's favorite, but I'm a Ted Williams guy, and there's a lot of different, what is the difference between that card and any other superstars cards? Guy named Cy Berger in 1952, who was employed by Chops Tops Chewing Gum Company, tried to ramp up sales and included six baseball cards that he cut out by hand with scissors from cardboard in his kitchen, in his little tiny apartment in New York City, and he included these, and they worked and they sold more chewing gum at Tops. And it worked so well that he suggested another series that year and another series 
and another series until there was almost 400, I think 404 of these cards in six different series. And by the end of it, a lot of the customers had enough. They didn't need, and the supply of these baseball cards overwhelmed the demand, even though they'd created a new market. You should start to hear the parallels to the stock market now here too. Measuring the supply and the demand. Some people call it technical analysis. Some people look at insider buying, quietly taking shares off the market, even if the same number of investors are bidding. What is happening to the underlying demand and supply of the shares itself? And we measure those very, very carefully with some surprising pivots. Just to end that story, so by the end of it, Berger was literally begging people at carnivals to take this last series off of his hands for a penny a pack. And by the end of that awful, humbling experience, he was offering 10 packs for a penny and couldn't get rid of them. He ended up having to clear out the warehouse or risk getting fired. And he dutifully rented a barge and took that last series and sunk them in the bottom <laughs> of the Atlantic Ocean where cards number 311 to 404 still sit to this day, taken off the market. Card number 311, Mickey Mantle. Same great player as a lot of, some have better stats. There are fewer of them. Measuring that in the stock market, being aware, how many shares are there this year versus five years ago? That is the fifth key we found that has led to some surprising results and kept us away from some of the worst where shares are flooded on the market. It's a great idea. Guess who knows it's a great idea? Remember what an IPO is. It's people that know more about the business than you do selling their shares. I remember my second day on the trading desk happened to be the day that uh, employees of Goldman Sachs shares vested. And so for like the next month, it was everybody cashing out their equity comp to, to the market. And regardless of what the fundamentals were, there were just so many new shares unlocked um, in, in the era of share buybacks. Like this is very, very important. So, um, you know, that, that fifth idea, you could have a company that, you know, very, we're very excited, but there could be this tremendous amount of supply unlocked. And that could really kind of damage and, and harm the the price of the of the equity. So I think that that's really important. I, I love this. And just to reiterate, you know, our safe, sacred, speculative, when you build your plan correctly, these opportunistic stock portfolios will add upside to your your finances. There will be if there is a surprise, it will be to the upside and you will sleep well at night knowing that you've been responsible with your capital. You're going to be able to retire. You are financially independent, reached your freedom day. But then if you're good and if you've done your homework, that will pay off to the upside. So if anybody has any questions, would like to reach out to us, you can email us, team at Freedom Day Solutions. You can check out our website, freedomdaysolutions.com, and we will see you next week. This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice 
nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed.